Hello and welcome to episode 85 of Can We Still Be Friends, a podcast that tests the limits of the friendship between two people who mistake movie taste for personal morality. I'm Nate Goss, here with Ryan Ebling. Spike Lee has consistently provided a powerful voice and an insightful perspective on race in America. His latest movie, The Five Bloods, came out this year on June 12th, just as the nationwide protests following the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd were gaining more widespread support than any movement in American history. While The Five Bloods was obviously finished months before its release, Spike Lee's movies have always been driven by unparalleled immediacy, so we thought it was important to see what he has to tell us in 2020. The Five Bloods was released directly to Netflix, so box office and public reception aren't so clear. Critics were generally positive, giving Lee back-to-back successes following the glowing reception and Oscar win of Black Klansman. The performances, especially those of up-and-comer Jonathan Majors and Delroy Lindo, are gaining attention. The film's lasting legacy may end up being the fact that it proved to be the last role Chadwick Boseman performed, adding a moving poignancy to his portrayal of fallen comrades Storm and Norman. Although Nate and I picked this movie almost a month before Bozeman died, we're glad to have the chance to talk about his impact in The Five Bloods. So are the critics right? Did Spike do it again? Or is The Five Bloods a bridge too far? Keep listening. What happens oh, to all of us, man? Have you seen them too? Yeah. Huh. They had come to you at night. Huh? Storm and Norm comes to me down there every night. Now he talked to you like he talked to me. Come on. Come I don't on. think so. Come on. Fish up. Get in there, David. Get in there. Put your fist up, David. Come on. Oh, you too, Van? Go ahead. Just up, man. Come on, Paul. All right, so that was a clip from the movie we're discussing in this episode, The Five Bloods. Um, And that was... Uh, pretty much the whole cast, uh, main cast of the movie there, but really focusing on Paul as played by Delroy Lindo, um, talking about some of the ghosts that he sees, mm-hmm. which, you know, these are veterans of the Vietnam War returning to Vietnam, um, and they've all got some ghosts, mm-hmm. and the, the past is coming back to haunt them in a lot of different ways in this movie. Yeah, uh, actually, everybody in this movie is is carrying the past with them somehow. Yes, and, uh, you know, as you mentioned in the um, intro, uh, Delroy Lindo seems to be getting a lot of attention for this role as Paul, uh, rightfully so, it's, I would oh, say. Man, I mean, it is, it is an insanely great performance, um, which I'm sure we're going to get to. And uh, just... I can't say that I've seen a ton of Delroy Lindo movies, but I do know that, you know, he's a face that you recognize. Um, and I know Spike Lee has used him fairly often mm-hmm. throughout his career. Yeah. So it's awesome to see him uh, getting some serious recognition. So here's the thing. So, um, yeah, so we're back in our socially distanced studio. Right. Welcome back. I'm glad we're kind of, we're actually doing it. We're staying got on track. A, yeah, yeah. We, we said we didn't know a, if we would do this and do it, you know, get to it every month, but it looks more like. More or less. Yeah. So far. <laughs> Twice. Twice, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, working but, out. So, so there's, there's, we're still getting used to this new setup. And I also think that we're, we're kind of uh, throwing a wrench into our traditions by doing a movie that just came out. Right. I mean, this is really the first time I think we've done that at all yes yeah yeah absolutely because we we uh we almost always have some sort of connection or i've always meant to see that or you know there's something going on but we uh don't really have that with this one it's it's just a few months old Mm -hmm. i suppose we could have done it earlier if we had wanted to that's true i mean we could have done it right when it came out that's true yeah so we still have to do that at some point yeah like the the immediate release here we go can we still be friends premiere yeah, right night you hear episode. heard it you heard it here forth <laughs> right but the five bloods i know this was a movie that both of us were looking forward to uh, mm-hmm. you know just being a spike lee joint you mm-hmm. know and especially off the uh, heels of black Klansmen, right you know which we both were huge fans of so yeah and yeah definitely some some echoes of black Klansmen. yeah some of the things that spike lee did in that movie uh coming back in this one 
we we can kind of do first viewings for me, I guess, because I did sure. watch it when it came out. But the, you, so this is my second time seeing it as we record. Right. You know, you had not seen it. I'm guessing you didn't watch it twice between our last episode. I didn't. No. This is this is my second and a half, or like one and a half viewing. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I had you started, started it again, or I had started it a while ago, and uh, just scheduling. Yeah, it happens. Work out. It happens, especially in uh, in these very uncertain times. Yeah, the yeah. times. Yeah, you don't know when you're going to have two and a half hours to sit <laughs> right. and do nothing. Yeah. You'd think a lot. Yeah, but it doesn't work out that way. But yeah, so you watched it. How soon after it came out did you see it? Well, this came out what June twelfth. We said right. Yes. So I think I watched it. You know, within a few days after it dropped. So it was in June. So should I talk about that? You think? Yeah. Or should we just get into? Well, yeah. You know, I mean, it was. Uh, if you remember back to June, that was that was the thick of the protesting. Yeah, and that wasn't lost on me at all I mean, like, you yeah, know, when I watched it, you know. So here's the thing. So I, I watched it and um letterboxed rating, I gave it four stars out of five. Mm. So I really liked it. I did feel though that it, it wasn't what I expected mm. and I couldn't tell if it met my expectations or not, mm. you know. Um I'm okay with something not being what I expected. What I couldn't tell, and I, you know, after that first viewing, is if it actually succeeded in being what it was trying to do. You yeah. Know? But that aside, it's just punctuated by these moments of brilliance that mm-hmm. I, I just could not deny. Mm-hmm. I mean, just so powerful in a lot of different ways. And we, we've already talked a little bit about Del, Delroy Lindo, um, but you know, the whole cast is pretty great in this, and Spike Lee's pulling some phenomenal performances out of this, and. One of the things I kind of realized is you're seeing a culmination of a lot of Spike Lee tricks in yeah. this movie, mm-hmm. you know? And so even for that, I was kind of like, man, this, you know, as it being just sort of a great example of what Spike Lee does well, you know, right? Uh, it, 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 I had to love it for that. So I gave it four out of five just because I wasn't really sure within the canon. Still processing or I was pro- Exactly. Bit. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I was still processing it. So coming onto this episode, I was... It was. It gave me a good excuse for doing something that I was planning on doing all along eventually anyways, which was to give it a second viewing. Mm-hmm. So I guess I don't know if uh, now maybe I should give you a chance to talk and you can talk about your first time or... Oh, you can go ahead and go on to this because we're kind of talking about the same iteration for each of us. Okay. I know it's my first, but we're we're talking about like the viewing we did for this, I feel like, is more analogous than uh, first viewings. Sure, yeah. So um, I think that for me... Knowing beforehand what I was going to be getting into prepared me for it more, and um, I still think there are some things that I I'm not sure if they work for me. Yeah. Um, you know, there are a few things, and and you know, let's talk about those. Um, but there's things I saw this time that I missed the first time. It's weird because letterbox rating I might still keep it at four out of five, but like it, it's 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 definitely in a way sort of still raised, risen in my estimation for some reason mm-hmm. maybe the stuff that was distracting me last time i was prepared for so i kind of saw it in this larger context now yeah. where i was like okay i see what he's doing here and, and it actually works better for me this time and then even just processing it a little bit more since watching it i think I, it's been two days now since i watched it um my memory of it, it it keeps rising in my mm-hmm. estimation like it keeps doing that mm-hmm. so i wouldn't be surprised if after we talk about this i'm leaning more towards a four and a half who knows maybe even a five if yeah. because i really do i really do think there are some just staggering spike yeah. lee moments yeah, yeah, yeah. in this movie yeah that's funny how similar <laughs> are we feel. ever gonna argue i don't know podcast? i don't know if we will ever again it, but you're you're exactly right so i feel like there that this movie has um i don't know if it's if, if it's the pace or if it's the tone and the shifting tone but it takes some getting used to definitely mm-hmm. and i i really do think even just watching half of it and then restarting it was enough to be like I know that there's going to be some funny stuff and like funny stuff interrupted by really PTSD stuff and mm-hmm. political conversation stuff and things that Spike Lee has always done but he's doing it in a really different way and maybe we can figure out what that is in this I don't know but um yeah the second time starting it I felt like I got what was happening a lot more and I kind of could understand the vibe. And um, while the second half is actually 
pretty different even from the first half. It like is. it really is. It, yeah. It, I I still feel like I kind of was in the flow of the movie better, and um, just like you said, I I so I I watched it in two chunks two days ago and then last night. So at work yesterday, I was talking to one coworker who was telling me about Anne, who's been on the show. Yeah, she was telling me about the John Lewis documentary she was watching, and I I I mentioned that. I had started watching the the Five Bloods, and I was even sort of saying like, "Is it worth telling her?" Because I don't know how I feel about it really. But I started just describing it, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I really, you know, I'm I'm really enjoying mm-hmm. this movie. I'm I'm excited to finish it." And then uh, another coworker came in and 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 said they were talking about movies, and and said, "Oh, Ryan was saying he was watching the Five Bloods." And uh, I told him a little bit about it, and I was like, "Yeah, I, I'm really excited to finish this." And then my wife and I finished it, Kelsey and I finished it, and I and we were talking about it, and we were both sort of like, "And then this," and like just like mm-hmm. things that while we were watching, we we had a reaction to, but we weren't sure. But as we were talking and just hearing somebody else say, "Like, no, that was brilliant. Like, that was a really yeah amazing." Like, I felt that when I that happened, I was like, "Okay, I didn't know if I if I was." weird for feeling that yeah, or whatever yeah. and so i'd love to hear some of your examples of that you know the stuff yeah. where you almost don't you, you almost don't know if you should feel weird about it or if it's brilliant yeah. or well I, maybe later but yeah I, I, yeah yeah um i don't know that if i feel weird just like that really worked on me mm-hmm. but it feels like it was too simple to work on me like <laughs> yeah, why yeah, would yeah. <laughs> did that work for you too or i was just, or was i just in a headspace and like it, and she was like oh yeah that was <laughs> And uh, so, um, I'm I, again. I'm almost like as you were talking, and you said four. I was like, that feels low. I'm gonna go four and a half. But then, as I formulated that thought, I'm like, that feels high. But every time I think about this movie, mm-hmm. I like it more and more. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I'm I'm with you at like a a four with the like anticipation of how how high it's gonna go right right beyond that I'm ex- i mean i'm excited to talk about it with you it's yeah. one of those movies that i feel like with the right person you could dig so deep into this movie yeah and that's something that i really the second time around was like man there are layers upon layers upon layers between and everything yeah so i i feel like the, the first time i watched it and, and you're really kind of like you're not just blown away by delroy lindo's performance you're a little like shaken by it yeah, scared of it too. Like scared of it and not really sure how I mean and, and and I even read some interviews where they talked about is it kind of Spike Lee trolling with you that he is a Trump supporter, you know, wearing a wearing the mega hat and Yeah, is he inviting you to to psych- psychoanalyze yeah, him? And and, and so and, uh, of course I know we'll probably get to that, but my point my my general point is that watching it again and this time the second time I don't know why I decided to put the captions on I did too. So I so I really started looking at the language Man. and the words and uh-huh. the stuff he's saying. I think the first time I watched it, I was just seeing the performance wash over. Right. Me. Yeah. This time I'm looking at what he's actually saying, and I'm like, why is he saying that? Like, yeah. like for instance, why why is he reciting Psalm Psalm 23 right now? Yeah. Like, what what does that mean? It could mean a lot of different things. I mean, there's and that's just one little tiny moment. Screaming Psalm 23. Screaming, agonizingly screaming. Yeah. You know, and then uh, so I, there's those layers of just every single thing that's said, and the way that the history is just dropped in, and not just dropped in with his, you know, old video footage and everything, but also just the way that these veterans just seem to know the history and they drop it in right. the conversation. You know, and and the first time I'm watching it, I'm like, oh, that's that's a good footnote to kind of think about, you know. But then it's kind of like, well, what does that mean that that person is brought up at this moment? Right. You know? And then beyond that, I think the second time I watched it, I was even a little bit more aware because I don't know why it took me a while to figure out this was kind of a tre- uh, treasure of Sierra Madre oh, yeah, thing going too. on. I was like, oh, okay, now I get it. But I was like halfway through the movie. Well, at now that I kind of want to watch Treasure of Sierra Madre and then watch yeah. this again. Have you see. seen Treasure of Sierra Madre? Yeah, it's been years though. Yeah, I watched it a couple years ago, but like so. Then I'm kind of like, okay, so these areas where I th- it was wide over my head the first time, but now I'm watching it and I'm like, okay, so that. That's why maybe that was a little weird to me the first time, but now it's like, oh, it's a reference point. It's hitting so many things that that question mark is, is this working? Because like he's doing everything (laughs) and it's not possible for anybody to do everything well. Mm -hmm. But my overall impression was that he did. 
So I must be wrong about something. And I don't think that this is like the perfect movie where Spike Lee is 100% of the time hitting the perfect marriage of U.S. historical references, world historical references, the nature of war historical references, the nature of God and his care for people and and racial history and um, global racial history and movie history and right. um, HBCU and oppression and all this stuff. Like, I don't think he's doing it perfectly, but he is doing it so well that this movie doesn't feel purposelessly like a mess yes. <laughs> but it does but also it is at times kind of a mess. feel like a mess so i so i'm gonna i'm gonna steal a quote here i was reading a.o scott's review of this movie and i thought he he just said in one sentence exactly what i'd been trying to put together right. which is quote it doesn't always hold together but it never lets go hmm. i i mean i think there are still po- points where i'm like i just don't feel like it's even emotionally doing what it should be right now yeah <laughs> you know? yeah like like Spike Lee's been making movies for decades now, and he's made every, every kind of movie, really. Right. You know, and and I feel like this movie, The Five Bloods, is a stew of all of that. Yeah. And um, it's fascinating to watch how that how he can make right. that work, but also at the same time, it's like okay, this is definitely has the feel of something more like Inside Man. You know, kind of like a mm. cop heist kind of movie, yeah. very genre, yeah, very popcorn movie kind of thing, right? And then it's just going to knee jerk you into like a do the right thing moment right. or like a Malcolm X moment, right. and and in a way, I'm kind of like, yes, do that to me, Spike Lee. I, I love this. This is great. Or and, like and, a you know. history's uh, people's history documentary, like <laughs> right. for a moment, and uh, then a black exploitation like Grindhouse sort of homage right. movie, yeah. And it's almost like nobody could ever make that movie work. But if anybody's going to make a movie that doesn't actually work, but hey, works really well for me, yeah, it's Spike Lee doing yeah. the, the Five Bloods. You right. know? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, it, and in the, a way, it's like it's, there's it's, no it's, way that that would be a good idea, <laughs> right? And it and it it's still a question as to whether it was a good idea. It's strange to me that you would talk about this movie in any way being masterful because mm. it does feel so sloppy. But to take that level of sloppiness. And hold it together mm-hmm. is masterful, right? Hold it together into what, right? I mean, it, it, into into at the end of the day, something that gave me so much to think about yes. and moved me. So, like Black Klansman, maybe was a turning point for him because it felt like you definitely had um, elements of contemporary issues in his movies all the way back, you mm-hmm. know. Like, do the right thing where they're calling out the names of people who've been killed by police. Right, right. Um, Malcolm X starting with the Rodney King footage. But it wasn't until Black Klansman that he put f- stuff from, like, this year yes. into yeah. his movie. With the Charlottesville scene, right? Right, and, right. Yeah, and David Duke speaking, yep, things yep. like that. And here, he does it with President Fake Bone Spurs. Um, so funny. Who... They never, they never say his name in this movie, by the way, and uh, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he uses that footage to open the movie with kind of a mini documentary mm-hmm. of the history of black people and uh, armed conflict in America. He focuses primarily on black people's involvement and feelings about Vietnam. It's such a great opening. It is. And, it, and it's actually like a little film in itself it is. that I, I could just... I, I, in fact, I was rewatching it on YouTube before you got here. When you take 20 million black people and make them fight all your wars and take all your cotton and you never give them any real recompense, sooner or later, their allegiance towards you is going to work then. No chance to increase. America has declared war on black people. If the link-up is not made between what's happening in Vietnam and what's happening here, we may very well face a period of full-blown fascism very soon. It's just an incredible piece of documentary filmmaking in itself, yeah. you know. And he, he, it seems like he can toss off a documentary like nobody's... <laughs> okay. Like, yeah, okay, I can do that. But he's able to, in this movie, build off of what he was able to do in Black Klansman, which is bring the the history into today and connect a direct through line. 
And what makes it a little bit messy, I guess, is that it's not academic, certainly. There, there is an element of that, that like, look at this historic moment, look at this person who's overlooked by history and look at how it connects. But it's also, feels like it's sort of spitballing in, in some of the connections it's making. Not that yeah. they're wrong or anything, but just sort of the connections feel not as linear, but the way he puts it together, he gets you there. Mm-hmm. Like he gets you to that connection. In its sloppiness, it feels really alive too. And I think that's something else that, I don't know if it's, all Spike Lee movies, but it's definitely this movie. It seems to be working in sequences. Like there's the overall story and that's always moving, but he will take time for a shot or Mm -hmm. a sequence that's just killer. And you could pull it out Mm -hmm. on its own and it would, and it would be as powerful. That opening documentary scene, the Hanoi Hannah um, sequence even just like the shot, the long dolly shot of them dancing yeah, yeah. that opens, the May Lai scene yeah. is one that is, I don't know if I've felt a gut punch like that Oof. in a movie in yeah. a long time. The sequences really call attention to themselves. I think Spike Lee has learned over the years, even more than with Do the Right Thing and Malcolm X, which are not subtle movies, right. to say, what do I want to say? I'm going to say it. <laughs> right. Like, I'm done being subtle about this. Right. It takes a really admirable level of riskiness to do that. And actually, I was reading up a little bit on the evolution of the making of this movie as mm-hmm. far as where it started, which was that it was a script written by two other writers, uh, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo. That script really was just the story. It was four veterans going back to Vietnam mm-hmm. and looking for a treasure. And Actually, I think Oliver Stone was attached to it, and they were white. And it wasn't until Oliver Stone dropped out, Spike Lee picked it up and decided he had always wanted to make a movie about the black veteran experience in America. And he thought this was a great vehicle to do it, and he recruited Kevin Wilmot, who worked on him with Black Klansmen. So it makes sense that that is sort of where you're seeing that dividing line of where the contemporary stuff is really being brought in. I don't know if it's more Spike or Kevin Wilmot, but them working together has somehow produced this thing that I think is just, it's, it's very electric when you see it. Like it's very like, Whoa. Okay. I don't know. I don't even know how that's going to hold up watching that like 10 years later, 20 years later, because you kind of had to be there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's totally true. (laughs) He's not even like, going to apologize for this movie being of its time right now. I feel like Spike Lee's like, why even bother trying to make a timeless movie? We got shit to say right now. Yes, yeah. (laughs) And that's what what comes through in Black Klansman and here and in his speech at the Oscars and just everything he did at the Oscars. He is done worrying about being palatable. To an extent, he is, he, he doesn't, he doesn't care if you don't like it. If you don't like it stylistically, if you don't like it on the message, whatever it is, he doesn't care. There are things in the movie that, in the hands of a lesser filmmaker, or a filmmaker who cared about people's opinions more, he could have trimmed some fat. Like the storyline with the daughter. In plot, it doesn't go anywhere. But in payoff... At the end? It provides oh, one of yeah. the most moving moments in the movie... And we get the signature spike double dolly. There's a lot of these subplots too. I mean, like mm-hmm. that that's that's one that has an emotional payoff, right? If you stick with it. Right. There's other ones that are just kind of like, I still don't even know if they really serve much purpose. The whole like Jonathan Majors, David character and the little sub romance plot between him and Melanie Theory, like the the yeah. heady character, like yeah. Is that more of like a sort of genre thing, you know, where it's kind of like just a silly, uh, like screwball comedy almost? It's not funny, but no. Well, sure. I mean, there's it does it does offer some levity, and it does feel like it is one of the inconsistent parts where it's like he just tied her up and dragged her through the jungle. Why would they be at all kind of? By the flirting, end, yeah. Which right. by the end they're not. Like it's not like they end up together. Or right. Anything. right, right, It's right, not right. like the camera pulls back and he like calls into the kitchen and she comes out. They're not. They don't seem to have gotten together or anything. But you could look at it through these layers of a woman whose family had plantations, and this is a big thing that we should definitely talk about: is the past that everybody's carrying with them and how it's affecting them. She has this familial past of making money off of Vietnamese people Mm -hmm. 
And here is somebody who went to Morehouse, HBCU, very proud of his black identity. And a woman who came from a plantation-owning family who seems to be trying to make amends in a way by helping the people. Like, it's just it's just not a clean... You, you can't ignore the fact that there is a romance or a budding flirtation between the daughter of a plantation owner and uh, the, the son of enslaved people. Mm-hmm. And what is that doing? And where are their pasts colliding? And what would happen if he's bringing his past, which is brought to him by his father... And she's bringing her past, which was brought to her by her father. It's not just a romantic subplot, you know? He, it's almost like a, a thing he's sort of like passingly like, oh yeah, there, there's that too. Mm-hmm. But let's get back to the Bloods, really. Like yeah. the Bloods is really what this movie focuses on. Definitely. You know, through them, saying a lot of things about the black experience with war in America. Which there was a review of this movie on RogerEbert.com. It was by Odie Henderson. It was a great review. I will link to it in the show notes. But one of the things he brought up that um, I guess I hadn't really thought about that much, although it's right, I mean, it is kind of so obvious, is he said, quote, you have to think long and hard to come up with a movie that focuses so intently on the aftermath of war on black soldiers. Mudbound and dead presidents come to mind, but they also have other stories to tell, Mm. unquote. Is this really like the first movie we have that focuses on the aftermath of war on black soldiers in America. It's it's just crazy to me that we don't have these movies or even just pieces of culture that really have dived that deep into what it means to be a black soldier who, first of all, as Spike Lee points out, well, actually, he has the Viet Cong pointed out for us, the, the disparity in the representation of black soldiers in the war versus the population of the U.S., mm-hmm. and that this is a time when they were still fighting for their civil rights. Black GI, your government Send 600,000 troops to crush the rebellion. Your sole sister and sole brothers are enraged in over 122 cities. They kill them. Why you fight against us? So far away from where you are needed. Black GI, the South Vietnamese people are resolute against these fascist acts, against Negroes struggle for zero rights and freedom. Negroes are only 11% of the U.S. population, but among troops here in Vietnam, you are 32%. Black GI, is it fair to serve more than the white Americans that sent you here? Nothing is more confused than to be ordered into a war to die or to be maimed for life without the faintest idea of what's going on. I dedicate... You know, these are points that can be so obviously yeah. drawn, but they're just not for a lot of people. Right. That what makes this movie special to me, ultimately, as an American citizen, is what the hell is patriotism? Yeah. Well, and then what's interesting about that, because like, the whole movie opens with the Muhammad Ali quote, why he won't go fight in Vietnam. Yeah. The, you know, why would I go kill another person of color essentially for, for somebody who doesn't care about my life here? Like, what, what, what is, why would I go and do that? That idea keeps coming up because when the, the Bloods are carrying their past, their PTSD, their pain around with them, they run into people from Vietnam who are also carrying the pain in the past of the war. And it just kind of reiterates the the history of repeating itself that the oppressed people turn on each other rather than the oppressors because the source of pain is the same for both of them. Mm. And part of something that like kind of came to mind to me is that we're watching these four men plus the, the people in Vietnam who can't get over what they went through, what happened. And the, the movie is sort of asking like, how could they get over it? Yeah. Like, for the Vietnamese people, people came into their home, people from out who had no interest in it. The Americans had no interest in it. Come in, kill our family members, destroy our homes, massacre, shoot babies in the face. And how are we supposed to get over that? And then for the Bloods, like the things they had to do mm-hmm. as soldiers on behalf of a country that didn't care about them, how are they supposed to get over that? At the same time, they are living in a country that totally got over it. 
Right. Like we yeah. are as a country, how did we get over it? Yeah. Yeah. Why why are we allowed to and the people who were either the victims of it or unreasonably uh forced to do these things, they can't get over it. And that idea of like how do you move on? Just phrasing that question, how could they move on mm-hmm. as a rhetorical, like, of course they can't, to how could we move on as right. a rhetorical, right. like, how dare we? Right. And there's something extremely powerful in those flashback scenes, just in the visual of them being their age in yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I know how my memory works. I take my experience and I filter it through my memories. Right. And I almost picture myself as a 36-year-old and my mental capacity as it is now, my wisdom I have now, yeah. whatever that is, that gets channeled into my memories. And it's so hard to be gracious to that younger person who yeah. didn't know what right. you know. Right. Not even having done anything like be in a war. Right. <laughs> right. And so that, that's just it. Like, I'm still ashamed of stuff I did when I was like a server at a restaurant. Right. And the way I treated someone shitty. Right. You know, or just the dumb stuff you say as a high schooler. Yeah, and I still, and I carry that around, right? <laughs> and so, by having these actors in their, you know, they're probably like in their sixties, having these guys in these combat sequences mm-hmm. is such a powerful visual of like, this is what we do to our veterans. They're gonna have to live with this for the rest of their lives. Imagine if, like, later on, you realize we had no reason to be there. Yeah. And I came back to a country that, for me to even protest for my own rights, was seen as unpatriotic. Forced to go and fight, come back and t- call the baby killer. Then, 40 years later, nobody seems to care that they're killing you know, people who look like me. There was an interview with Spike Lee in May where he kind of draws this line between like the graphic stuff he shows in Defy Bloods and the fact that you have something like Ackman Arbery shot on film. In, in this country, then people don't get even, even get arrested for it for two and a half months. Right. You know? That constantly horrific footage of the, of the person being shot in the head is something that you've seen over and over again. Like, that's just a, a really quintessential kind of image of Vietnam. Vietnam, yeah. That was, like, the reason that American opinion turned is because people saw the, the tape. Exactly, yeah. You're actually, yeah, that's the point I think Spike Lee was making. Mm. People turned on Vietnam when they saw the footage of what was happening. So why the hell aren't we turning on our own country mm-hmm. when we see that kind of violence inflicted on black citizens mm-hmm. day in, day out for as long as we can even remember? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think you know why. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think Spike Lee knows why. And I think that's there too. Like, that's why the blackness of these characters is so vital because even with the number of American veterans who share their experience... They don't share the experience of being black while doing it. That whole black experience is coming up all over this movie. Even like the disproportionate maternal mortality rate comes up. We find out that David's mom died in childbirth, which could be a trope, but in Spike Lee's hands and with the context of the movie, no, that's just another reminder of the way that black people are disproportionately ignored, disproportionately uh, oppressed. So the, the, the presence of, of blackness really is embodied and, and kind of like the indomitable spirit of blackness, that, that like black resilience is really embodied in the character of Storm and Norman, played by Chadwick Boseman. And again, just to, we, we picked this movie seriously, I think a month before um, Chadwick Boseman died. And um, what, is it, what is it? It, it is eerie. To watch yeah, those scenes it now. is. It is, and I've I've seen people kind of like say that he he knew when he picked this role, and it's it's possible. It's possible. I mean, he sure. was in his third or third or fourth year of having colon cancer, but the messages that he's passing on these like no, we've got to like remember the history of black people in this country, and we need to bring this money back to our people, mm-hmm. like. That idea that bloods don't die, they multiply, is that's how they multiply in this movie, is that they pass on the things that they fought for, Mm -hmm. even though it wasn't what they were fighting for. Well, and that's to me, that's uh, just that idea of passing things on and the way that he kind of highlights different aspects of black history or figures in, in black history, all of that culminating in 
that last scene with Martin Luther King and mm-hmm. he's specifically quoting Langston Hughes. Mm-hmm. America was never America to me, but I swear this oath America will be. Yeah. All those lines he's been drawing. You could start with Muhammad Ali and you go all through those different lines he draws through history and the story of the five bloods and the mm-hmm. story of even specifically like David as the new fifth blood, really, because, yeah. and it's kind of sort of a genre thing where it's just like, where'd this guy come from? You know, like that seems kind of a weird plot device, but then you see that he sort of becomes like the fifth blood, that mm-hmm. these things move on. They multiply, as you right. said, and they multiply towards this goal of making America what it needs to be. Right. You know, right. That, that is where Spike Lee despite what everyone thinks of him and despite what he has every right to feel. Yeah. He has this like supernatural optimism. optimism. Yeah. For black people, yes. Yeah. But also strangely for America. Yeah. Even though he is constantly calling it out in a way that is uncompromising. I think that optimism comes through in that idea of black resilience, continuing to fight and continuing to rise. And um, I was listening to a podcast called The Stoop and they were interviewing LeVar Burton and he he said that like this country tried to make us into animals and we refused to let them. Mm. And that in and of itself, no matter what story you tell about black people, it's going to be a story of resilience mm-hmm. because they refused to let that happen to them. You've got that in Chadwick Boseman's character who is like, nope, we can't, we can't take that. Yeah. We, we're not going to do that. Goddamn white man going too far. The Bible says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. We need to kill some crackers. Our brothers and sisters are burning shit down back home, no? I love you, man, but you're wrong. Dead wrong. We're talking about Dr. King. We're talking about a man of peace. And that's what got Dr. King killed. I'm as mad as everybody. All us buds got a right to be, but we bloods. Don't let nobody use our rage against us. We control our rage. And what y'all trying to do right now ain't changing shit. So stand down. That's an order. And so even stories where You've got the PTSD, you've got all the effects. He's he's just talking about all this stuff, this litany of things like that he's just throwing in there. You can still feel it come together under that umbrella of the resilience and the hope, the optimism that it all connects to. And so wherever it feels messy, he brings it back together with that idea. He, I, one of the lines from uh, Do the Right Thing that I don't know if Spike Lee coined the phrase, but I know it comes up in a lot of his, his movies and in social media posts is just make it plain. When somebody starts, like, somebody's like, I got something to say. Somebody says, make it plain. And that's what Spike Lee does with his movies. As many ideas as are thrown in there, he makes it plain. You mm-hmm. are not leaving wondering what he was trying to tell you. Yeah, yeah. And speaking sort of that of, of let's talk about making something plain. We haven't really gotten into the the way Marvin Gaye plays into this. Oh man! And one of the more most haunting, staggering, just I couldn't believe it. You, you you're thinking the same thing I am, right? I mean, because Mar- Marvin Gaye's the, throughout this whole movie, the, but the, 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 just the isolated, the, the isolated vocal, track vocal track of what's going on. Mother, mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. You know we've got to find a way to bring some love in here today. Yeah, father, father. I mean, talk about making it plain. And I feel like, so you, you could make the case that, that Storm and Norman is kind of like the Christ figure in this movie. Someone who yeah, dies definitely. and he's passing on the wisdom. He was their Martin and their Malcolm. Granting you know, like, forgiveness. Granting forgiveness for the one who killed him. Mm-hmm. But if, if Storm and Norman's the Christ figure, I feel like Marvin Gaye's the Holy Spirit. Mm. Like Marvin Gaye is mm. the spirit yeah. of this whole movie. He is just there. Yeah, His voice is there. His music is there. And sometimes his music is not there and you just need to hear his voice. And his voice is one of peace. His voice is mm-hmm. one of love. His voice is one of resilience. Mm-hmm. It is eerie because it is kind of a ghost. Marvin Gaye is right. a ghost. It's right. a ghost of that time. He's no longer with us, mm-hmm. but he was a voice of that generation of the 60s and 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so his spirit 
his ghost kind of lives on throughout this whole movie. It provides the perfect soundtrack, but then when you can isolate it to just that vocal track, it is just, it stops you. You cannot look away from that. It was, it was one of probably like four times in the movie where like, I think I audibly gasped or, or something. And it's, it's crazy how much happens because of that isolated audio track where the scene suddenly takes on this feeling that I don't know if you could have gotten it any other way. Um, describing it as the Holy Spirit feels perfect because it, it turns that scene into something spiritual. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, while I'm getting this very ineffable, indescribable feeling. It's like being in a vacuum almost. Yeah, yeah. I'm also acutely aware of the lyrics of that song, which is... Kelsey mentioned it's easy to overlook the lyrics when you hear that song because the music gets you in the groove mm-hmm. and you're hearing like those iconic just sounds that yep. other people are making and like you've got to get into the spirit of the song that you forget the lyrics but when it's just him singing it and you hear how hard hitting really mm-hmm. those lyrics are sung so smoothly and it's like Holy shit, Marvin Gaye could sing. Oh my god. Is yeah. another thing. Like yeah. so you're you're Yeah, this is before f- pitch correction, mind you. Yeah. And it's flawless. I was fully in all of those headspaces. Which are they walking around a temple when that happens? Is that where they're There's a couple things happening at the same time, actually. They're approaching the temple, mm-hmm. which in itself is right, kind of yeah. a an idea of, of holiness. Yeah. This is actually when there's kind of the first the split, actually. Yeah, yeah that's what you I'm know. So Paul is on his own and yeah. it cuts between him. And then to the rest of the group approaching a temple, and actually let's 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 stick there for a little bit with the part where Paul separates from them. I, I mean, I was wondering why Paul and David had biblical names, and they even mm, mention it. Yeah, and now I'm remembering Storm and Norman in Paul's vision is tremendously backlit by the sun. Mm. That is essentially. Paul's road to Damascus moment where he sees wow. Jesus yeah. as like a light who blinds him, but then helps him see. Yeah. And so like in that moment, he sees Norman standing in a ray of light. And then when he turns, the light is just like radiating yeah. around yeah. him. And that's when he offers him that like forgiveness and like, I mean, and that's another one that just drops you dead when, when, when yeah. you watch it, it was an accident. Mm-hmm. You're forgiven. Mm-hmm. God is love. Love is God. Whew. And the added layer, knowing that you know Chadwick Boseman's death, his 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 cancer, what he was feeling and seeing, and he was a man of faith too, Chadwick Boseman. Mm. So it felt, yeah. I mean, I, I it's you don't want to conflate actors with their characters, but you you just can't. You can't not this, feel yeah. the the weight of that. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean that scene, that's that sort of redemption scene is so powerful. But I want to stick with that part of the movie, really, which is really the part where Paul goes off on his own. Yeah, and um, I think that uh, that was a part where the first time I watched it, I was like, "This is getting to be like pretty wild," I guess, yeah. you know. And I guess that makes sense too because I know a lot. Another big influence is even Apocalypse Now, right? So I mean, like, just that sense of just like. Heart of Darkness. Completely just falling complete, apart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, I get it. But the yeah. other thing I didn't quite put together, um, and this is, I, I, you have to read the article. Uh, the Odie Henderson yeah. uh, uh, review is so good. Put it in the show notes. It will. I will definitely. Credit where credit's due. I'm just, I'm not, uh, this was a connection that was made because it had been so long since I saw Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Mm-hmm. But you get to that moment where he is just giving his sort of monologue right at the camera. Mm-hmm. And um, another very Spike Lee thing to do. Very Spike Lee for sure. But what I forgot, if you watch Treasure of the Sierra Madre, I mean, this is the moment where greed has really kind of taken over and driven everyone crazy. Mm. Greed has seemed to hit Paul the hardest of the, the bloods. I mean, they all want the gold, but they don't seem to be willing to, geez, disown his son for it. Right, right, you know what I mean? Right. He is kind of like the bogey character, you know, the, the, the Humphrey Bogart right. character in Treasure of Sierra Madre. And what Odie or reminded me of is that, you know, John Houston, I'll just start with this quote. While Houston had Bogey wandering the mountains, muttering to himself while on the thrall of paranoia driven by greed, Lee has Paul rant at the United States government hmm. while looking at the viewer. Hmm. 
Lindo's scene isn't a descent into madness. It's an ascent towards self-realization filtered through angry howls of defiance. Mm. Those army bastards, they scorched the earth with it, sprayed that shit in the air and the water, my bloodstream, my cells, my DNA, and my motherfucking soul. But I ain't dying from that shit. You will not kill Paul. You hear me? Hear me? You will not kill Paul. And the U.S. government will not take me out. I will choose when and how I die. You dig? You couldn't kill me. This is an homage to Treasure of Sierra Madre. Greed drove him mad. Mm -hmm. And for Spike Lee to take that even further and say, not only has greed driven this person mad, but it's also the greed of the government Mm -hmm. of his country that drove him mad in the first place. Mm -hmm. He was driven mad by going to Vietnam. That's what drove him mad, which was something the United States government did to him. And it needs to be addressed uncomfortably straight to the viewer. You, American citizen, Mm -hmm. you will not kill me. Yeah. Wow. Because that's that's also kind of Paul at his scariest. You know, thinking back to the the ways that American History X was so indelicate with the way it treated black men, that's a that's a risky choice to make his moment of self-actualization the self-actualization of a black man which already scares white America. <laughs> right. <laughs> make it le- legitimately one of the scariest points in the movie or most unsettling. But he's also built up a fair amount of empathy for him, mm-hmm. compassion for him. And the reason we should in this movie feel the power of that raised fist is because finally the oppressed has turned on the oppressor rather than towards other oppressed people. Mm-hmm. Spike Lee is an optimist, but he's also a realist. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that moment doesn't save him. No, in fact... Uh, he gets him killed, probably. Okay, that's even later, but before that, he loses his money. Yep. So, the way we're talking, it's a wonder that we ever, you know, questioned, questioned it. <laughs> whether we would want it to be anything higher than four stars. But what is it that... What is it about the movie that did um, keep it at four for you when you when you watched it again? Sure. I still think there are moments in this movie where there are scenes of heaviness that are just not given time to breathe. I'm thinking specifically the one that's still just, I, 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 I do not understand the transition. I don't know if it's editing or if that's intentional, um, but when Eddie lands on the landmine and dies, oh yeah, and it's almost, I don't know if it's a budget thing or not, it's almost campy. It is, yeah. It's not given the same treatment that, a lot of the other violence is it's much more sort of like the kind of violence you would see in like an action movie. Right. But this isn't a scene in an action movie. This is like one of the bloods dying. Right. right. They kind of just move on. I mean, the next thing that happens is David steps on the mind. Yeah. And, and of it's course, all about that. Of course that has to right. take care of itself, but they, the audience they, isn't given a time. Him. Yeah. The it, audience isn't given time to even understand like, what just happened there? That's where there's like sloppiness and like ideas that are floating out there and they were, they're in there, but that are they fully connected? Like the fact that he isn't rich anymore and is in debt up to his eyeballs. It's like the, the, the financial the credit system is also part of systemic racism. And, yeah. and the fact that his face and name are on something that he, he doesn't earn any money on, like, that's definitely, you know, you think, especially even though she's not going to be on the bottles anymore, Aunt Jemima, and like just the fact that that has happened, the exploitation of black people, but it's also just, it feels like a very half-formed idea. Yeah. It's not outlandish to connect it, but it also feels underdeveloped. Yeah. So what's weird to me is some of the pacing of it in a sense where like that seems really rushed. Then the other part where I'm like, why is this going on for so freaking long is like, the metal detector and finding the gold, this could have been cut by half. We have like, to see them find every piece. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm just like, 
moving on, and, please. Well, yeah, you know, <laughs> and I, watching it like the way it's paced. Kelsey said this while we were watching it. She's like, "He's going to find a landmine and step on it." And but then nothing happened. Definitely felt like that. Yeah, yeah. Like this is going to lead to something. You know, right? Maybe Spike Lee was just really into how metal detectors worked. I know, and was like, maybe, guys, yeah. you're not going to believe how cool this looks. You or, know, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not only the not only the pacing of them finding the gold, but like. Also, just the finding of it, like going David poop. is going to poop in the spot that he digs to, you know. I actually also was thinking, like, he still needs to poop. Right. That poor guy. I, I had the same thought. <laughs> like, are they ever going to resolve this? <laughs> Where are we going to have Jonathan Major's epic pooping scene? Like, he's just, he holds it in for the rest of the movie, I guess. Apparently. Right? It's, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, what what for you? Give us that. Oh, what what gives you some uh, some pause? I guess as far yeah, as I like mean, yes, perfect. Generally, movie, stuff you know. like that, and part of Spike Lee's making it plain makes dialogue a little bit, you know, stilted. I mean, I get it. I don't know how you do a homage to Treasure of Sierra Madre without the we don't need no. Oh, I like that. Badges. I thought that was but so it's just funny. Sort of like. Yeah, but Blazing Saddles made a joke out of it. Like, I right. feel like if if Mel Brooks has made a joke of it, you can't put it in your movie uh, ever again. Oh, but I think he was, I think he was referencing both. I think yeah. he meant for that to be funny. I think that's also the that's pretty close to the line where Melvin. It's one of the funniest lines I feel like in the movie where he's just like, "Well, shit, just put it up on Craigslist." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> put the gold up on <laughs> that's Craigslist. Right. That's right. And you have to have Isaiah Whitlock. With the, sh- she. <laughs> the, with the wire reference, yeah. Classic. He's done that in every movie, Spike Lee movie he's been in. Yeah, he's done that in every movie he's been in. He did Probably. it in the movie Cedar Rapids he did with like. Oh, Ed that's Helms. right. That's right. Yeah, he has to do it. That's just what he does. <laughs> it's his thing. I, Another thing that is just David's willingness to tie up the the lamb people. That doesn't seem believable just to you. Just to be yeah. like, this guy who has pretty much disowned you like for your whole life has been terrible to you. Yeah. You know he's he's not in the right mental space telling you to tie people up and they just helped pull you off of a mine you're gonna do that i yes i i mean there's two kind of two things where if if i want to kind of give spike the benefit of the doubt on that is that at that point already i think even a lot of the bloods are a little afraid of paul sure maybe having david just kind of being like we need to just listen to him right now you know but yeah he seems to be kind of sold on it yeah yeah he carries it out and then um the only other thing I would say as far as giving the benefit of the doubt is that you wouldn't know this in that scene. You wouldn't know it until way later in the movie, but when you find out the story behind him and his father, you know, you you, you could see it as sort of like uh, the complications of that father-son dynamic of like a son that's just racked with guilt for why his father mm. won't love him and kind of like, for whatever reason, just psychologically, like I have to do what he says, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but you wouldn't know that in that moment, you know that there's some tension going on. You know, there's something that's like there, that their relationship isn't great, but you're right. I think that the first time I watched this movie, those were the things that kind of held me back on it a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then the second time, I don't know why I think I was just kind of like, well, this movie does what it does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It does what it wants. So yeah, I can't tell if, like I talked about earlier that the VC, the people they label the VC, who are carrying this pain that they've had from the American war, as they call it, and then are following of the bloods who are carrying their pain and they're turning that towards each other rather than towards the oppressors or the, the, the source of that, that pain. The movie kind of introduces it and then moves on from it. Do you feel like he dismisses that idea or do you feel like to go further with it would be to explore territory that doesn't really deserve to be explored given the history of oppressed people. I guess it's just the way I'm choosing to see it is the realist and Spike Lee by showing that there's not really a resolution to the idea that oppressed people are turned against each other, that that's just the fact of it, that that will be perpetuated as long as the oppressors can keep it happening. You mean the, the exploring idea of sort of oppressed people treating like each other not, that way? Yeah, there's not like a resolution to it. I mean, you have Paul serving as like kind of that moment where he does to an extent turn on his oppressor, but kind of just in his mind and only at us. 
which, you know, as a white person watching it, I imagine I feel that differently than somebody else might. Yeah. And I, I, and this is where I wonder if how much of this is just him sort of doing an homage to Treasure of Sierra sure. Madre and how much of it is actually trying to make a larger point. But here, again, pointedly, it's a French, a Frenchman who's double crossing them. Yes. Who's kind of guiding the so-called VC. It's kind of orchestrated by the oppressor right, to an extent. Right, but because it's still sort of in service of this pretty stock Western story, story uh, Western in like the genre sense, right. like cowboy Western type story. So could it be interpreted as like a loose end or something that wasn't thought out all the way? Or is right. it just sort of like, no, I just kind of wanted to drop this in here because it seemed to kind of fit for me. Yeah. And I need to kind of get back to just the story of these bloods and how they can kind of turn on each other and well, the greed involved and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know? I I, uh, I actually kind of tend to see the idea of them turning on each other and greed being in service of the homage to the treasure of the Sierra Madre and yeah. the idea of like oppressed people and the, the pain that people are carrying with, like I said, how can anybody get over this as being kind of the main point? Right. So to me, it would seem sort of the opposite that the the greed element would be dropped in as necessary for the continuation of the treasure of Sierra Madre through line. And the other stuff comes up much more consistently. And I guess the way I would tend to read it is with a realist point of view, which is, yep, that's what happens. And yeah, a white guy is going to try to make money off it. A white guy wearing a MAGA hat, maybe. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) And I do see your point, too, in that I don't feel that Spike Lee is all that interested in exploring greed in the same way Treasure of Sierra Madre is. Like, greed... Because their their desire for the gold is not a greed thing. No, it's it's a a, justice thing. Yes, yes. In fact, uh, you know, Paul maybe is the one who's kind of like, no, this is my share, and I'm going to use it how I want to use it. But a lot of the other guys either don't care that much about it... Or they're they're not so broken up about splitting it up They don't care about splitting it up more ways. They also don't... And and some of them, Eddie being one of them, he sees his interpretation of what Storm and Norman said as taking all of it and investing in black causes, black organizations, you know, investing in the people. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting, actually, because I think what Spike Lee's doing is saying, like, no, you know, humanity is not as debased as Treasure yeah. of Sierra Madre says. Or as Fake Bone Spurs says. As Fake Bone Spurs says, exactly. that w- There are people who presented with bars and bars of gold yeah. either won't actually care that much or will think... I'm going to put this into something that's more in service of something beyond myself. Okay? And that's actually what you're saying is actually kind of changing what I think about it, that the greed is actually a part of that oppression. It is. And that's what I'm saying is Paul's the only one that seems to be the one very concerned about greed, but he's, he's also, also the, the most, most damaged. paranoid. Yeah. yeah. So he's the one who's the most likely to turn on and distrust turn his anger towards the VC yep. or the Vietnamese people, even Vin, their, their guide. Um, and he's also the one who will not give up his share, won't split it with his son. Yeah. Won't like he is the one who is tightening his grip right. rather than, yeah. And Spike Lee will never make things not complicated. Right. So, yes. You, yeah. you, so the easy way he could have written that, okay, let's take the easy way he could have written that. The idea of that, like, you know, most of these bloods are actually pretty good people, they're not greedy. But they do feel this is kind of due to them and mm-hmm. or to their people from what has happened from their government. Yeah. This guy, Paul, he's a little different. Um, if we wrote him more simplistically, we could just say he's someone who actually just, for whatever reason, we don't really care, he is greedy. Yeah, He's the one wearing the mega hat. Mm-hmm. And that's the moral of the story. Right. That, yeah. Trump, that Trumpism is just greed and it will cause everybody to turn on each other. Yeah, yeah. But he doesn't do that, really. Right, right. Really, I think what he's actually saying with someone like Paul is, well, it looks like greed may not even really be greed, really. Yeah. Survival. It's not only survival, it's also a sense of not just justice as in like reparations for a people, but like revenge. Yeah. This is what's due to me. Yeah. And again, complicated. It is due to him. You as a viewer are like, I get it. And only Spike Lee could take someone like Paul and put a mega hat on him and have you as an audience member be like, 
Yeah, but I get, I get it. it. He's, yeah. he's way more complicated than that, you yeah. know? That's Spike Lee. That, that to me is what I've always yes. loved about him, yeah. is he will take the person that he has every right to paint them as a one-dimensional, awful yep. character. We know how Spike Lee feels about Trump. If you right. follow him on Instagram, there's no question here. Right. It's almost like this is an exercise he needs to do for himself. Sure. Of like, humanize. I need uh, to humanize yeah. this Trump supporter. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And for him, especially the black Trump supporter. Right. But I'm going to get you to understand every single piece of that. Yeah. You know? And I'm going to also, on top of that, get you to understand the damage that that does. But that that damage doesn't fall solely on that individual. Right. It falls on the government that created that individual. Yes. It is a social dynamic to this Uh that cannot be ignored. And a step farther than I've ever seen Spike Lee take, only one thing can alleviate that, Mm. which is that moment with Norman, that forgiveness that grace, that lifting of his burden, that declaration of love, that is that what you're talking about makes that moment, even just in my memory, so much more powerful. Yeah. And that idea that, that that greed, that that oppression has led to a blindness by comparing it to that yes. Damascus, road to Damascus moment and yeah. saying the scales oh, have been yeah. lifted now. Yeah. So it took us... It took us a while to get there. We did, yeah. But I feel like... I feel like... Um, this is at least four and a half. I agree. I agree. I don't know. I'd have to watch it some more to, to really give it a five. When I think of five-star movies, I get hung up on this idea of, even though we know it can't be possible, this idea of perfection, right? Mm-hmm. I don't give five stars a whole lot to stuff that I readily recognize as kind of a mess. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, so what does it mean if but I say this mess is, is part of its charm, yeah. part of its power too? <laughs> I, I'm so for me, I'm gonna go at four and a half. I can't, I can't quite go five, but I can see it in my lifetime if I keep watching this movie yeah. being a five yeah. star movie. I think best buds, best buds for sure. So we, I mean, it's no secret that we here at can we still be friends? Uh, LLC love. Spike Lee. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's it's hard for us to be best anything but best buds when we're I, talking I, about. The, I think so. The, it would, the, the it would be a uh, betrayal of the podcast Mars, to not be Mars, best buds. Yeah. yeah. So uh, let's see if we can continue uh, that that streak and uh, talk about what we're gonna what we're gonna do next time. Is that all right? Yeah. Let's do that. So Ryan, well, you know, it, it's been tradition here at Can We Still Be Friends since we started. Yeah. How many years is this now? This Seven. is. Boy, way to, way to get the sibilance in the microphone there. Thanks. Yeah, just checking the <laughs> checking the levels. This is seven six or, or seven, right? I don't. I, I'm losing track. It's probably though. seven. Uh, Seventh Halloween spooktacular. Spooktacular, right? Yes. Holiday spooktacular. Yeah. Let's I'm make sorry. sure. Let's make sure we've it's got it right. It's the sixth or, or seventh eighth. annual <laughs> holiday spooktacular. spooktacular. Yeah. October. Tis, tis the season. Yes, exactly, Ryan. I'm so glad you brought that up. Tis indeed the season tis. for the holiday spooktacular. Tis. So we need to do a horror movie, essentially yep. is what it comes down to. That's the point. And um, I guess at this point, the, the, the cat's a little out of the bag for what we've been sort of seen as our goal a little bit this year Yeah. of really kind of trying to focus on movies that have either been created by women or people of color. Mm-hmm. And so we want to apply that to our spooktacular. And so we've been looking through, and I think what we're going to do is we're going to watch 2014. You think? That's what we're gonna well, do. Well, let's let's. I mean, that's I thought what we agreed upon. <laughs> the debates, the, the <laughs> conversation's still open. I guess anything yeah, can yeah, happen. This in these uncertain times. These are uncertain times. Even for as you know, even even though the the holiday spooktacular feels so certain, these are uncertain these times. Are uncertain so we times. think. I think we are going to be doing 2014's The Babadook. Right. The Babadook. The Babadook. I don't remember. Duck. Duck. How would an Australian person say? I think Babadook. I'm not even going to try. An no, Australian we've. Accent. I think we feel. I think historically we've we've, <laughs> we've messed up Australian accent. No, just never do an accent. Don't do accents. Yeah, we don't do them here. Um, so, the Babadook is that what? That's what we're going to go with. Let's now. land on that. Let's yeah. land on that. For I think. Now. I think that's what we'll say. Directed and written by Jennifer Kent. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be your first time watching it? Oh no, this will be my third. Third. Okay, it'll be my second. But yeah. Yeah, I think this is my third time. Maybe fourth. You can keep, you can keep count anymore, huh? <laughs> Man, <laughs> every day I'm ducking. That's what I say. Got to get that duck. I was going to try to, yeah. I don't know if you can top it. 
will be about your fourth or fifth time on uh, on the on, on this uh, particular duck tale. Yeah. Uh, well, third or fourth. Probably third or fourth. Probably not. Third or fourth. Yeah. I I I I. I I'll say. <laughs> I'll say this. I exaggerated the the amount uh, that I duck. You made it sound like it's a real slam duck, but uh, <laughs> but no, it's not. Not quite. No, it's not. I, uh, I I can't I can't I can't keep up, Nate. I can't I keep I up know. with your right right your, yeah your 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 jokes. Right, it's a duck hunt, and uh, <laughs> and you're the yeah. target. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. All right. We have fun here. Yeah. We do. We well, we do. We may be the only two. That's fine. You can, anyone can stop the podcast whenever they... No one told yeah, you to nobody, listen to Nobody far. forced you. <laughs> Even though everybody listens just for this part. We know that. So, Actually, I think the, the only feedback I've ever gotten on our banter time is, it's just two boys giggling. <laughs> what? Oh, thank Sorry. you. Sorry. I, I just fed into that idea. Didn't mean to... <laughs> Fine. I'll, I'll, I think I'll that cut more of the giggles out. You know, I, I add more in just because I thought <laughs> that's what everyone it. loved. Yeah, you sweeten it with the giggles. Well, the hol- holiday spooktacular will not be as hilarious no. as what you just it, witnessed. No, it'll be way spookier. It'll be several times spookier. Hopefully. I mean, I guess that's up to the duck. It is. Yeah. Ducks in their court. <laughs> gotcha. No, you, you laughed though. Oh, I don't know. Boy, that was a real. That was a real dookie of a, of a of a joke. Oh, uh, yeah. See, we're just we're just getting worse, and Scraping yet we're still yeah. still little boys giggling. So, anyways, if you would like to join us for this holiday spooktacular, reach out to us, talk to us. We'd love to hear from you. We've got a lot of different ways you can do that. Um, let's let's go with the social media first. Let's talk oh, a little bit about oh, that. Oh, yeah. okay. Is that all right with you? Oh, yeah. We've got a couple platforms uh, that we partake in. And uh, one of those is Facebook. So Facebook.com. If you don't know that address, um, that's how you get to Facebook. Slash Can We Still Be Friends podcast. If you're not a fan of the book, you're not if you don't want to talk about the duck on the book, right? talk about the duck on the gram. The Instagram is what I'm talking about. That's Instagram.com. That's that address. Uh, slash Can We Still Be Friends pod. Um, we've always got the website, canwestillbefriends.net, where you can comment on this episode or any past episodes, uh, dig into the archives, um, visit the other hol- holiday spooktaculars, yeah. and, and let us know what number spooktacular we're on. That would be great. I'd love to know that. We should probably know that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or you can email us, feedback at canwestillbefriends.net. And there, uh, you could you could leave a voice message by recording it and sending it an email, or you can call our number, which we definitely don't have to look up. And I will let Nate say it from memory. Yes, just rolling off the top of my head here. Uh huh. Uh, I can start at eight four seven. Right, 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 right. Uh, it's it, it's right there. It's right yeah, there. It's yeah, right I there. see it. I yeah, see it. Yeah. Oh, here we go. Eight four seven. Uh, here we go. Is in my mind. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Yes. As in, yes. as in it's, it's the it's proper a, time. <laughs> right. Eight four seven three zero six nine five three two is the number. That and we both have memorized. Right. Of course. Uh, give us a call. Leave a message. Oh, you know, and every once in a while, we just like to say, if you do enjoy this podcast, uh, feel free to uh, show us your support. The best way you can do that actually is, uh, you know. Uh, just go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice rating there if you don't mind. And thank you so much for listening to our episode of The Five Bloods. And we will catch you for the spooktacular next month. Mm-hmm. Hope everybody's getting fitted for their tux. The formal this year. Oh, it is? Yeah. We talked about this. The Babadook wears a top hat. We oh. thought it would be appropriate. That's right. All right. Yeah. So. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.